What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Superstar, like my heroes, The Undertaker, The Macho Man, and The Immortal Hulk Hogan. I am a former national champion and Olympic trials silver medalist in amateur wrestling, and I was trained for professional wrestling by the Mountie Jacques Rougeau, and I'm a graduate of the infamous Hart Family dungeon. I have stepped into the ring with Psycho Sid Vicious Kevin Nash and the legendary Terry Funk. But now it is time for me to reach my ultimate goal of becoming a WWE superstar and showing why I am tough enough. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon. On Saturday, August 13th and Sunday, August 14th, head on over to the Blue Crab Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland for the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet and greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for more information on this one-of-a-kind presentation. And please stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for the revealing of the special promotion, courtesy of our friends over at Spartacon and RedSerpents.com. 
And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are joined by our good friend, Devin Nicholson, a.k.a. Hannibal the Death Dealer. And Hannibal, a.k.a. Devin Nicholson, is somebody that professional wrestling fans definitely know his story, and we are going to dig deep and even further into that story, and that is a story of triumph, that is a story of some tribulations, and it's a story of sticking with your dreams and following your heart as Devin Nicholson takes us on a ride through some of the highest highs that he ever experienced by obtaining a WWE contract and also having that contract rescinded in some of the lowest points that somebody could possibly imagine, but also goes into the entire story of the unfortunate battle that he had with Abdul the Butcher and contracting hepatitis C, which led to his WWE contract being rescinded. It's a story that's out there, but hearing it from Devin and hearing the passion in his voice as he retells it is absolutely amazing. And it's not the only thing that you should know about Devin Nicholson because this is a guy who's got a natural look, he's got natural ability, and he's one of the best athletes I think we've ever had on the two-man power trip of wrestling who is a can't-miss prospect. And you are going to hear all about the craziness involving his WWE tryouts, why the WWE is always so interested in him, but what happens when they kind of pull the plug prematurely. And John, as we get you welcomed in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about Devin's background and talk about the absolutely phenomenal success that his YouTube channel, The Hannibal TV, has experienced as he developed a concept of bringing some of the most unique and comprehensive shoot interviews to the YouTube world but John, like I said, give us a little bit more background on Devin and tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from some of these interviews that he does on the Hannibal TV. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling. It's a very, very special episode today, and we go up to the greater north. Yes, GNW current heavyweight champion Hannibal, a.k.a. Devin Nicholson, and this is a great, great, great interview. Anybody that's not familiar with Hannibal, please get yourself familiar with him. Go to Hannibal TV on YouTube and check out all his shoot interviews, everything about Greater North Wrestling, just unbelievable stuff that you're on there. It's a highly, highly successful YouTube channel, and he's doing a great job running his promotion out of Canada and the big stars are up there wrestling. I mean, most recently he's had up there Nikolai Volkov, Brutus Beefcake. In the past he's had up there Tommy Dreamer, the phenomenal AJ Styles. So quite a roster of guys coming in and out of Canada for Hannibal. And also quite a lot of great shoot interviews, if I can be honest. I mean, his YouTube is just full of great shoots. You can think of the one with Hacksaw, uh, the one with Ronnie Garvin that just came out, just unbelievable. So please check out his YouTube channel, Hannibal TV. And if you're not familiar with him, you kind of should be, because if you're a fan of wrestling and you follow WB and you want to know who's coming in, who's coming out, there have been so many times where Hannibal was almost there and then not. He was, he was signed through a tryout. He was signed uh, from Jerry Briscoe. You know, he was recommended by Briscoe. There's all these different things that come up, and he never quite got his chance in the WWE. He's a monster-sized guy. He's the prototypical, perfect Vince McMahon guy. If you look at him, he can cut a promo. He has a great look. He's a 
jacked guy he's a big guy so he would just be perfect for WB and it hasn't quite happened for him I wouldn't quite give up on that yet because I feel like it's going to happen but if anybody out there watched USA's Tough Enough from last season you will be very familiar with some of the videos beforehand sent by a lot of the wrestlers and Hannibal's is one of the most viewed ones out of all the wrestlers so pretty impressive you know to do that and obviously that's going to help out him and his promotion his career but you know we talk about it he does want to go to WB and you know we don't want to beat a dead horse or just keep going with it but why didn't he make it WB and part of it is because of Abdul the Butcher and the Hepatitis C and that whole case and that whole lawsuit but we do get into that as well so it's awesome stuff from Devin aka Hannibal and I guarantee you will really really enjoy this interview yeah, and obviously, you know, with Devin, he is a very good interviewer on his YouTube channel. And since he's in the business and he's been uh, pretty well-traveled, uh, he knows how to get the stories out of the performer or the talent that he's talking to because when you travel some of the places that he has, like down there in Puerto Rico, you know what to ask and you know what you're looking for when you ask those questions. And Devin himself has some pretty awesome stories and John... What are some of your favorite stories that Devin told us listening back? Because obviously with the way he's traveled and the places that he's been, he's got some pretty uh, pretty outstanding things to share with us in this interview. There's so many good stories that we talk about in this interview. Obviously the WB stuff, the, the, the tryouts, the almost getting signed, the actually getting signed, and the Hepatitis C with Abdul the Butcher happening, and all these different little stories compiled one hell of an interview. I, I gotta be honest think about some of the stories that he told chad i mean the undertaker story was awesome that's one of the coolest stories i've heard and i gotta be honest i've never ever heard that before so if you're gonna uh you know you're gonna tune in you're gonna want to listen to this awesome undertaker story hannibal was at, at a show undertaker calls him in the ring i'm not going to tell too much of the story i really want you to listen to an in interview but just one of the most unbelievable stories you'll hear and just uh you know makes you appreciate a guy like the undertaker even that much further and how humbled and honored Hannibal was for Undertaker to do what he did. It was just absolutely great. We get some great stuff on Brock Lesnar, what he thinks about Lesnar. You know, everything that is involving a quote-unquote dream match between the two. Because if you haven't seen Hannibal before, think of Brock Lesnar, but with darker hair almost. I mean, it is, he's a massive man. Uh, they're about the same size. I'd say probably the same height, same weight, same build, same body type. So it would be a dream match not only for Hannibal, but... For a lot of the fans out there, it would be a dream match as well. So hopefully one day that can happen. And, hey, if they want to do some MMA, you know Hannibal's got an MMA background as well. He can certainly get in there and uh, get in an octagon or a cage and, and settle it that way as well. So you get some great Brock Lesnar stuff and get some great stuff on superstar Billy Graham. He's talking about how Superstar has basically been a mentor to him and just unbelievable the background that he has with superstar Billy Graham and the you know what they've been able to um, become as far as friends and their friendship so that's another great story so there's so much good stuff in here you're gonna really really enjoy this episode we absolutely love to interview Hannibal and we can't wait for some future projects to work on with him and we can't wait to get him back on for maybe a little part two 
Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned the relationship with superstar Billy Graham. It's possibly uh, one of the most defining things of what Hannibal's been able to do with his YouTube network because he's got an over three-hour interview with superstar Billy Graham that is out of this world, and it's so comprehensive. And that's one of the things that you'll always hear me compliment with Hannibal is that he goes out of his way to make sure that these interviews are from top to bottom, A to the Z. You cover everything. You cover all the high points, which is something that on this show, we really try to highlight as much as we can. Obviously, we've got a little bit more of a tighter format being an actual audio podcast. But what Devin or Hannibal does is he just really goes out of his way to make sure it's A to the Z, top to bottom, cover it from one end to the other. And I really suggest go find the Superstar Billy Graham interview. Out of all the great ones that he's got, Superstar Billy Graham is just obviously one of the greatest and most famous stars in the history of the business. And he's also probably the godfather um of actual modern day sports entertainment with obviously you know the pageantry and the uh the flair that superstar billy graham had but with that being said we want to thank devin so much for coming on he's a great guy really been enjoying getting to know him over the last couple of weeks and setting up this interview and definitely look for more in the near future between the two-man power trip of wrestling and devin nicholson the hannibal tv and everything that's going on up there in the great north of canada and with that being said, as we prepare for episode number 200, as I mentioned off the top of the show, Spartacon, today's sponsor, is going to be giving away an ultimate Spartacon 2 fan VIP package to a random listener of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, preferably if you are in the D.C. metro area, maybe southern New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York. If you want to come down to Waldorf, Maryland on August 13th and 14th, all you've got to do is simply get a hold of us and tell us who is your all-time favorite guest of the two-man power trip as we prepare for this monumental episode number 200. And we will reveal who the guest for episode number 200 is very, very soon. And we want to thank Spartacon so very much for being so generous to provide an ultimate fan package for you, the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And to recap, on August 13th and 14th in Waldorf, Maryland, Spartacon 2 is back at the Blue Crab Stadium. If you get on over to RedSerpents.com, you'll get some discounted hotel rates for coming out of town. You'll get a full list of all of the celebrity guests that are involved with Spartacon, but you'll also get to get the whole rundown on the biggest, most exciting Rebel conventions ever, complete with cosplayers and artists and exhibits and the celebrity guests that I had mentioned, stuntmen and stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, Legion instructors, and you never know what else you're going to find at Spartacon. And the return of Spartacon is coming your way just a mere few weeks away. Get on over to RedSerpents.com for more information on the return of Spartacon and John with all that being said who it was a mouthful hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to our good friend Devin Nicholson and now for some TMPT business like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter at wrestling pal and at two-man power trip please subscribe to us on YouTube also please subscribe to us on iTunes while you're there check out the feed for some past Legendary episodes with the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Stan the Lariat Hansen, 
WB's lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Sergeant Slaughter, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, The Total Package, Lex Luger, Road Warrior Animal, The Phenomenal AJ Styles, The WWE World Champion Dean Ambrose, and so, so, so many more. Also, you can check us out weekly on Wrestling Inc. Yes, that's WrestlingInc.com. Check us out over there. Also, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. That is TMPTOfWrestling.com. Also, while you're surfing the net, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. We have a site on there. And also, Buff Bagwell has a page, Kevin Thorne has a page, Tito Santana has a page, and so does Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf. So please check out ProWrestlingTees.com and buy the shirts. And now, without any further ado, a two-time GNW World Heavyweight Champion, a former IWA Puerto Rico Intercontinental Champion, and a former two-time WWC World Tag Team Champion, you may know him as the Death Dealer, or even by his real name, Devin Nicholson, but we know him as Hannibal. Please enjoy. right now and joining us on the line tonight is a good friend of ours a great friend of the show he's up there in canada he's one of the most talked about canadian wrestlers that there possibly has ever been that has not been in the wwe but you know him very well his name is devin nicholson or also hannibal the death dealer thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling oh it's my pleasure you guys have a very high quality program so i'm happy to be on it uh we're... we actually have had matches for the wwe so that statement of yours is not entirely true i just have not had a contract that has been fulfilled by the company i have been offered a contract but it was taken away oh. i have actually had matches for them and i have worked for them 14 times and been paid for that so well, we're going to dig deep into that and I, I know you definitely have that history but i mean from the fact that those contracts that were offered, the contract that was offered, uh, and other past experience that you had just kind of end up uh, in the bullshit. And the recent tryout offer that they also received right. without any reason. Yeah. Exactly, and that's exactly where we're going to start, and that's the last time I think a lot of the mainstream wrestling media saw your name pop up in the sheets, and that was this, contra- or this uh, invitation to the Performance Center by Gerald Briscoe, uh, somebody that obviously has a, a great eye for talent, but being yourself, someone who's been on their radar on and off for 12 years, uh, tell us a little bit about what happened. Tell us about the tryout that you were supposed to attend, and from your take, what happened? Actually, the first time I was brought back from them by them was in 2004 uh, for the Calgary Raw and Kelowna SmackDown tapings, and I think that was the last... TV taping they ever did from Kelowna. So it's really been quite a long time that they have had some interest. But what happened with that most recent tryout, it's a bizarre situation uh, that I still don't understand. But maybe I'll get an answer because I'll be seeing Gerald Briscoe next week um, at the Hall of Fame in Iowa that I'm going to be attending. 
But uh, basically, in 2014, I attended the uh, Iowa Hall of Fame, and they did a talent evaluation with Jim Ross and uh, Jerry Briscoe. And uh, I did the evaluation, had a match with uh, Chad Wicks, who used to be in the WWE as one of the Dick brothers or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you, you guys probably recall it better than I do. They hold the victory over uh, Legion of Doom. Yes, yes, uh, indeed. Biden, right? That was probably their claim to fame. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the match went well in the evaluation, and they gave me a match on the card later that night. And after the match on the card, I was basically told they were going to try and get me in a tryout that September. That evaluation was uh, done in July. So they said there was going to be an NXT tryout in September that they were going to attempt to get me in. I never heard back from them, didn't get invited to that tryout. And then, as it's, a lot of people know, I'm very close friends with superstar Billy Graham. And uh, he suggested in uh, February of this year, because he's back on good terms with WWE on a Legends contract, that I reach out to Briscoe. He found Briscoe's uh, number for me, his cell phone number, and suggested that I call him to find out why I never got the tryout in 2014. And I called him, and he said he didn't know why I never got the tryout. Uh, and to send him a recent match clip and some pictures, and he'll try and get me in the May tryout. So I did that, and then uh, Billy Graham had some communication with him, which all seemed very positive. And then for about seven weeks, I was talking to Gerald Briscoe and eventually uh, Robert Gordon from WWE Talent Relations, and then they actually invited me to the tryout, which was going to be paid uh, accommodations and travel. And then a week after that, I received confirmation that I was going to the tryout. And then 10 days before the tryout, I received an email from this Robert Gordon person saying that uh, they're sorry for any confusion they may have caused me, but I'm no longer invited to the tryout. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I responded just politely asking, could you tell me why, what happened, and I didn't get an answer. So it's a really weird situation because in that seven weeks, I sent them all my information, all my medical documents and everything, and then I was actually accepted, received the itinerary for the tryout and everything was happening, was going to happen and everything. And then to mysteriously be uninvited was a little bit disappointing, to say the least, because I really do feel I'm in the best shape of my career right now. And I was signed in 2000, or I was offered a contract in 2009, and I'm a better wrestler now than I was in 2009. So I, I thought for sure if I could make the tryout that uh, I definitely would have been signed, but I never had that opportunity, which is unfortunate. And then when I actually watched the clips from that tryout, because of course I was curious, didn't seem like they really had... I don't know if they even had any wrestlers in the trial that had independent wrestling experience. They may have had a few, but it seemed like mostly football players and amateur wrestlers. So I don't know what happened there, but that pretty much uh, discouraged me from uh, trying to get into WWE for the next little while. And I'm going to be focusing a lot on my shoot interviews and uh, 
having bigger matches for my own wrestling company, uh, Great North Wrestling. So and sh the shoot interviews will be for my The Hannibal TV YouTube channel, which is growing literally on a daily basis. So that is the answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's uh, the, we'll get to the YouTube channel without a doubt, but I'll just mention one final thing on that. Yeah. And it's really sad that Gerald Briscoe can recommend Brock Lesnar, who's been the, one of the biggest stars in recent memory, but he can recommend me, and they'll still not give me a chance. I just don't get that at all. So. It's it's just a, you're such a curious case, um, just because of all the different times you've popped up on the radar, and obviously. From their thinking, well, there's something there that they're into, whether it's they're into it for a little bit of time before uh, they go through with all their actions or what, but there's always something there that you keep coming back. And even before this last tryout uh, had leaked out into the news, it was your Tough Enough video from last year that created a buzz because you made it onto their... Uh, what is it like an international best of channel that they had on WWE.com? Right. right, exactly. So that's the kind of thing like you're on their radar in some respect, but does that just get you frustrated? Because I know it's your lifelong dream. You've always wanted to be a full blown WWE superstar, but does it get you frustrated that it's all these start and stops with you throughout you know the last ten years? Actually, I I was the person that was most mad about the last one was Billy Graham. He was so upset. I told Billy, I'm like, I've been through this since 2004. It really is not that big of a deal to me. I'm used to disappointment. But he took that very personally because he had had personal communication with Briscoe and he had his hopes extremely high that I was going to get a shot. But with a tough enough thing, at the point that they made the decision, I had, I believe, the most hits for any male any male's video. So it, it's ridiculous that they didn't give me a shot on the show from a standpoint of if I had the most hits, isn't that a good sign that that's going to help their ratings? And some people say, oh, maybe since he already was a wrestler, he wouldn't have been as entertaining, but I would have been the most entertaining person on that show. I guarantee you that. They were all fairly flat characters on that show, so... I don't know what the deal was, but I actually didn't mind that whole tough enough thing because that gave my YouTube channel a lot of publicity and I made it on SmackDown. And guess what? If they ever do another tough enough, I'm going to apply again. And with all the subscribers that I keep getting, they're going to just look worse and worse because I guarantee you, I would have the most hits again of any male. I, I promise you that. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. And I, what I think about you is, is kind of cool is that they're really going with the cruiserweight flavor right now. And when you look at you, you are not a cruiserweight, obviously. You do have an, a very accomplished wrestling background, but also, you know, you've got a, a very unique physique. You've got a great look, but they're going more with these smaller guys. Do you think that might be something right now that could be holding you back? Is that, quite frankly, you're bigger than everybody that they want to bring in? Well, I can also do high-flying stuff. And I can, I'm quite agile. I'm almost, I'm, I would say I'm agile, almost as agile as most cruiserweights. But uh, no, I don't think it's that. I really don't think it's that. I, I really am not sure what the answer is. Uh, I actually asked Al Snow about it. Uh, I recently worked with Al Snow, and he used to be involved with WWE. Uh, in some cases, he worked with The Office because he's head of the developmental. And he said it could just be a case that 
some days he would find out that they would just change their mind and out of nowhere and say, no more hirees over 30. And people that they were even thinking of bringing in at that point would just suddenly be scratched off the list. So he said it could be something as simple as that. It could be something that you're international and they just might not want any international people. He said he, that's what he believed um, it would probably be. Uh, Billy Graham feels that it has something to do with the past of Abdullah and I, and they just think that if they hire me, it might bring more attention to that past, where the, since that's pretty much out of the news now, if they hire me, people might research me and that past might pop back up and they might not want that. I really don't know. But I really, at one point, I was uh, bitter towards them um, over having that contract uh, taken away, but I'm, I'm really not anymore. I would, like to, I would like to have one run in there to at least attempt to prove myself and, of course, to make money because uh, I've yet to make any real money in this business. So that, that, that would be good, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily my dream anymore because I'm going to wrestle the top stars. Um, I'll just bring them in myself. Maybe I won't wrestle The Rock or Brock Lesnar, but um, I, I can still bring in top stars if they get released. Um, so I've already wrestled Kevin Nash, Psycho Sid, AJ Styles, Dan Severin, Honky Tonk Man, Bruce Beefcake, Al Snow, James Storm, Kamala. The list goes on and on and on. Ricky Banderas, so many top stars that I've been in the ring with. So that list will, will keep growing as time goes on if I'm not signed by them. Of course, I'd love to have a match with Brock Lesnar. That's the one person that I would really care about wrestling because I would not be intimidated by him, which I don't think they have that in many of his opponents. So, and I would actually be the heel in that match probably. I'm probably, and I think that would get over well, but... Who knows if that'll ever happen. And I would do it in an MMA fight here as well. If that was the only option, I would fight him. I might not win, but uh, I would have put up a better fight than that guy he fought this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about... I actually talked to Terry Funk today, and uh, he had something interesting to say about that fight. He said, uh, doesn't Shane McMahon still work for UFC in some capacity? <laughs> 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 he's like, there's something fishy going on there with the WWE and UFC. He's like, it didn't seem like his opponent was in the top shape as he could have been in or trying as hard as he could have been in. So he said he, said he thinks something fishy is going on there. Hmm. So those are his words. All I have to say is there would have been, it would have been very bad for WWE if Lesnar had lost. They can say what they want, but three losses in a row... People would not have looked at him the same, but it's it's very good the uh, the result that they did have of that contest. So it's good for the wrestling business in general. Absolutely, and Mark Hunt. The rumor is that he was actually hurt going into the fight, and that, you know that was kind of like the uh, the reason he didn't show up to true to form. But what do you think about Brock Lesnar? Is that like that's like your ultimate dream match in wrestling? That's a guy, obviously size wise, you compared to him pretty damn well. Oh, yeah, I compare to him pretty damn well, and I'm a pretty damn good amateur wrestler, and I've watched his amateur matches, um, and I can take a beating. <laughs> I mean, I'd, it would be a good match. I'm not saying I would... If I'm talking about a real fight. 
Uh, I'm not saying I would necessarily beat him, but he would have a fight on his hands if he ever fought me. And in a pro wrestling match, I believe he would have a very good feud. Very good feud. Billy Graham is an adamant believer in that, too, uh, because we could mix amateur and pro wrestling very well, and it would be a very hard-hitting feud. I'm not afraid to hit him hard, and I think most people are. I would not go easy on him. So We'll see if that ever happens. But right now, Denis, it's rumored that he made about $10 million for his last uh, yes. fight, so he's probably going to want to wrestle less and less as time goes on. Yep, $2.5 million for the fight, and then I guess uh, $7.5 million on pay-per-view points. So he did pretty well. And the interest, I'd be interested to know how much Hunt legitimately made for that, hmm. because who knows what anyone could have offered him on the side. Hmm. To I'm just throwing that out there. There was a hmm. lot of money involved in this fight. To not try as hard, like, who knows? To have your family set up for the rest of their life secretly? Hmm. That's just a possibility. There was a hell of a lot of money on the line in that fight. But... Uh, yeah, who knows? But yeah, definitely, I would say, obviously, I have been in the ring with The Undertaker before. Um, lucky, I was very lucky in 2005 before a SmackDown taping in Montreal. He was in the ring warming up, and as I came in the building, there was nobody else in the building. So I just threw my gear on and like ran to the ring, and he came up to me, uh, shook my hand, and said, do you mind working on some stuff with me? And we wrestled for a good half an hour in the ring. And the coolest thing about that was, for about the last 10 to 15 minutes, Ricky Steamboat, who uh, was a road agent for the company at the time, was actually acting as the mock referee hmm. for us while we were in the ring. And by the end of it, everyone else had come out, so we had most of the locker room around the ring, and Ricky Steamboat refereeing and me taking moves. We're doing tackle spots which was really cool, and he liked working with me, too. At the end, he shook my hand and said, thanks a lot. Hmm. And then as I walked off, Rene Dupree uh, was in the company at the time, and I had known him previously, and uh, he just said to me, he's like, man, you're lucky. Uh, Undertaker never does that with anyone. So it was just a lucky thing for me that I happened to be there at that exact time, hmm. that I was the biggest guy, like, of the, of the no names there and the first guy to get to the ring. So he just chose me, but that was like a dream. That was my favorite moment of any of the, uh, WWE backstage moments that I had by far. So of course, yeah, that would, he's not in the same shape as he was before, but that would be my ultimate match. But realistically, that's never going to happen. So I would definitely say Lesnar could still happen if I, my popularity grows in the next few years and I do eventually get another shot. Lesnar's only 38. Could still happen, possibly. Well, with the Undertaker thing, talk about like a little mini dream match there. That's uh, unbelievable to be able to you know get that kind of access with the Undertaker. You know, pretty damn uh, cool little story. You know, you've definitely got with uh, with Undertaker. Oh, that was a, he was uh, probably one of my favorites. Definitely. My parents will tell you he was my favorite, but I would say it was Undertaker, Macho Man, and Ric Flair kind of tied at the top three. But that was an amazing moment in my life that I'll never forget. And it was a, a true honor um, to be in the ring with him. And he was 
just a fantastic guy and he was so nice to me so nothing but great things to say about that now if i could rewind just a little bit because you mentioned before about you know obviously almost being signed with wb uh, almost a couple times being signed and being tough enough and everything else but you mentioned them looking back at your history can you just briefly just go over what happened with abdul the butcher and your whole history there and kind of what you think the wb is trying to avoid Oh, uh, yeah. I had a match with him in uh, 2007 where he cut me with the same razor blade that was taped to his finger that he had cut himself with. And this was determined in court that it was about 42 seconds after he cut himself with it several times and he cut me five times with the same razor blade without permission. And, of course, that's not something that you would expect going into a pro wrestling match. Um, at least someone would ask you if they could cut you. But you certainly wouldn't expect to be cut with a hepatitis C-infected razor blade. If you knew that was a risk going into a match, that someone was going to cut you with a hepatitis C-infected razor blade, you wouldn't go into the match. You'd have to be a total idiot to do that. Right. So, basically, that incident is what happened there there's a whole long story of it um i didn't know he had hepatitis c at the time i had adrenaline going in the match to be honest i didn't even feel that he cut me it was only after i found out that i had hepatitis c that we went into the review of the match put it in slow motion my videographer actually noticed it before i did and then he called me over he showed it to me and you can clearly see that he blades me in the match because I was already bleeding from my own cut. But I, there's a lot of people that always say, well, they were both bleeding. Well, it's actually never been proven ever that a disease like hepatitis C has been transmitted in sport uh, from just two people bleeding. Because if you're bleeding um, from a blade cut, it's usually a small, like you've probably been cut by a razor blade shaving. It's a small cut, it seals over fast, and the blood comes out outwards. But when someone is cutting you with a razor blade that's been inside of them, they're then taking that object and putting that inside of you. It's just like sharing a needle. And it's a known fact that hepatitis C is spread by sharing razor blades. A lot of people get it confused with A and B. C cannot be, has never been proven to be passed during regular heterosexual sex. Where blood is not involved, it's a blood-to-blood disease. So I don't have any tattoos. I don't have any piercings. I was tested um, shortly before that match and was proven not to have hepatitis C. And then shortly after that match, I'm tested and I suddenly have the antibodies in my blood. And then we later find out he has a long history of hepatitis C. Uh, it's more likely than not that he passed hepatitis C to me for sure. And that was proven in court. And uh, that was actually, that judgment was actually upheld in the United States recently. So not only was it proven in a Canadian court, but it was upheld in the United States of America. So basically you're asking how that affected WWE. Well, I found out I had hepatitis C around the same time that I was offered a contract by WWE I had had 14 tryouts before I was ultimately signed. I was signed out of a week-long camp in uh, 2009. 
I was actually told by Pat Patterson at that camp that I was the best wrestler in that camp. Uh, the other people that were signed from that camp were Darren Young, um, CM Punk's wife. I forget her name. You guys AJ Lee. AJ Lee yeah. was at that camp. Mason Ryan was at that camp. Uh, and I believe, uh, what's his name, that just got fired recently, uh, the Australia, he's not Australian, but he's Adam Rose. He was also from that camp. And, uh, yeah, I was basically told by Pat Patterson that I was the best wrestler in the camp. Dusty Rhodes told me that I had the best promo in the camp. He actually came out of his office. He was watching promos uh, in his office during the promo portion. And he actually came out of his office and told everyone, that's the way you do a promo. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing was, I cut a promo on Dusty Rhodes, so that may have been partly why he liked it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was a good camp. And I even got, I even threw a temper tantrum in that camp, and they still offered me a contract after. So that's how well the camp went. But that temper tantrum... I would not make that mistake again, but it was well-deserved. They put me in there. I'll just tell the story quickly. Patterson was only there one day, and I had been identified as one of the top people in the camp, I guess you could say, and we were separated into three groups. Um, I was in a different group than where the matches were going on. So right before lunch, they came in, and they said, we want you to be seen by Patterson. They just grabbed me, and they just grabbed a random guy to go in the ring with me. And during the match, he had no idea how to wrestle this guy. Let's put it that way. He wasn't selling anything, and he was repeatedly punching me for real in the face. And at one point, he punched me right in the ear, and I lost my hearing for 10 seconds. So if you can imagine what it's like to think that you've been death for 10 seconds, <laughs> that's... That's pretty angering. Anyways, we got through the match. But like as soon as the match ended, just I just completely lost my cool on the guy and challenged him to go out in the parking lots and then I believe I yelled at Steve Kern saying, like, who the who are you putting me in the ring with? Because I had just been like I was so freaked out over losing my hearing that I just completely lost my temper. And then they they, uh, the agents were upset with me. Kennedy was there too. <laughs> it was quite funny. Um, but yeah, they were upset. They're like, you got, you had, we really liked you. And then you went and did this. And then there were Pat Patterson was supposed to leave at the lunch break. During the lunch break, I went outside with Pat Patterson and we talked for 20 minutes. And, uh, he basically explained to me. <laughs> that you can't act like that, particularly before you have a contract. We like you, but you can't behave like that. So what happened was they ended up giving me another match after the lunch break um, with a good wrestler, and Patterson actually stayed to watch the second match. He actually gave me the finish to the second match. And it was funny because he told me after the match to pretend that I had lost my cool again. <laughs> Just as like a rip on the agent. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that went well. After the match, Patterson goes into the room with me on the opposite side of the arena where the matches were going. He shook my hand and he said, I really hope they hire you. And he left. He didn't watch any other matches in the afternoon. He hmm. stays specifically to see mine. And then it's funny. The last things uh, Steve Kern said to me after the camp 
uh, just when we were saying goodbyes, he said, we really like you and don't worry, we're not going to say anything about yesterday. And that's in the second last day. <laughs> and then the moment it was uh, Ty Bailey and Johnny Ace that called me to hire me a month later, the first thing Johnny Ace said to me on the phone was, what the hell happened with that fight at the camp? <laughs> <laughs> so clearly they had, they had like spilled the beans and he basically said that uh, you're probably going to have a lot of heat coming into the company due to that, so just be on your best behavior. But they still offered me a contract. But, of course, then the hepatitis C thing happened. And uh, I actually, through a random physical, found out that I had uh, the hepatitis C antibodies in me after the camp, but before my WWE medical. So it was in, I think it was around June 20th or so, possibly June 23rd, 2009. And my WWE medical was, uh, I was called to told I, uh, told I was being hired on uh, June 5th. So I was so excited, right? Then uh, I find this horrible news out June 20th. And I was so obsessed with wrestling and caring about my job. I really didn't even care that I had hepatitis C that much when I first found out. All I cared about was, oh my God, is this going to affect my contract? And then when I went to the uh, medical, which didn't happen until August, the hiring process is long, and I passed the drug test, passed the concussion test and everything. But I was honest with uh, the two doctors that I saw. And the one that took my blood... Uh, when I told him that I had hepatitis C, he said, uh, don't worry, we have a no-blood policy, matches are stopped, if accidental blood occurs, there's no double blading, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend that you be put through. And then uh, the second doctor said, uh, I don't know how that's going to affect you, it's going to be a talent relations decision ultimately. So I was still, I thought I was at least going to get an answer at the medical but I still had another week after the medical before they called me to tell me that their official reasoning was because I couldn't get licensed to wrestle in all states due to the hepatitis C. And uh, since then, since I have, I went, oh, I'll just go through it quickly, more of the history. But basically after that, I was devastated, obviously, that the contract didn't go through because that was my dream come true. So I went through a tr my first treatment for hepatitis C, which was the standard treatment uh, covered by the Canadian government. It was 19 weeks of hell. I lost a lot of weight. It's similar to chemotherapy. I had horrible side effects. And six months after the treatment, you find out if it worked or not. And while I was on the treatment, I was testing negative. All signs were showing that I was going to be cured of the disease. So. In the time that I was off the treatment, I had gone into seriously training for MMA. I was my the six month period when I was uh, going to find out if the treatment worked 100% was July 13th or something. My fight was booked for August 11th. So I had been training so hard, I was like in top shape in July 11th, and I remember walking into the doctors with like a huge smile on my face, expecting my clearance, and then I was going my plan was I was going to fight MMA which, of course, you had to be clear of Pepsi to, to fight. And then I was going to show WWE the tape and say, see, I can, I'm clear, I'm good to go. But then I find out that the first, not only did the first treatment not work, 
and uh, hepatitis C was back, but there was going to be no new treatments out that they believed would work for me for another five to eight years, which was absolutely devastating because I was 28 at this time. And then you're basically told it's going to be another five to eight years before a new treatment comes out. So I was went into a huge depression. I really wanted to kill myself. But uh, at one point, I was at one of my lowest points, and I, had a, I was a personal trainer at the time, and I had a client who had both a law degree and a medical degree, and he, told me, he suggested to me, he said, because at that point, I wasn't public about having hepatitis C, because I was shameful of it, of course. And uh, this guy recommended, he said, hey, nothing good is happening to you right now. Why don't you go public about it? And then maybe someone will come out of the woodwork and get you a new treatment. So that combined with when I found out they were going to put Abdullah in the Hall of Fame, which really pissed me off because of what he cost me. I was furious that they were going to put him in the Hall of Fame. So I decided that I was going to release a documentary explaining my whole situation on hepatitis C. And at that time, we'd only started the legal proceedings, so we were just trying to get his blood work. It took us about a year to get his, finally get his blood work to show that he had it. So we did release uh, this video that told my whole story, and uh, I knew superstar Billy Graham had hepatitis C because I was obviously a huge wrestling fan, so I contacted him to be part of the video. And he greatly sympathized with me, and he almost became best friends with me right away. He really, I can't explain how much I love that guy. He really helped me through a very tough time. And, uh, yeah, so basically, uh, with that video coming out, friends with Billy, Billy eventually, uh, because of all this, the sympathy he had on me. He got me an appointment with his liver specialist in Phoenix that did his liver transplant, who's one of the top liver specialists in the world. So I traveled to Phoenix, had an appointment with him, and uh, he suggested that I try this new experimental treatment that I was genotype 2, which is, of course, the same genotype that Abdullah the Butcher has. Um, one of the other reasons why uh, we won in court there's many different types, genotypes of hepatitis C. One is actually the most common. But uh, this treatment had worked on genotype 1 patients, so it would be experimental for genotype 2. And it was not uh, medically accepted in the U.S. or Canada at that point for genotype 2s. So I went, he also ordered that I have a liver biopsy, which is where they basically cut into you and cut a chunk out of your liver to, to see where you're kind of condition your liver's in. So I had all these tests done, and then I went to a different doctor because, of course, I told you my first hepatitis C specialist told me he had nothing for me for the next five to eight years, which I'm not just going to accept that as an answer. So I got an appointment with a second liver specialist in Canada, uh, brought her this doc His name is Dr. Hector Rodriguez from the United States, and uh, brought her his findings. And she's one of the leading hepatitis C specialists in Canada. She said, I'm going to a uh, hepatitis C summit meeting next week where I'm going to talk to other 
specialists from around the world about this treatment. And then basically she made another appointment with me in three weeks. And at that appointment, she said she would be willing to try the experimental treatment on me in Canada. So I was willing to go to the States if she wasn't going to try it, but it was obviously going to save me a lot of money to try it in Canada. But of course, I had to pay for it, which cost about a total of $80,000. But I went on this treatment. Instead of 19 weeks, it was 36 weeks. And it was hellacious, but I was mentally prepared this time. And I was public about it, and I did update videos about it. So with the update videos, the weekly update videos where I uh, talked about my side effects, I had people with hepatitis C from all over the world watching them, and they contacted me and supported me through the side effects. Some of them messaged me tips. And of course, I had Billy talking to me every day, helping me through it. Even at one point, I actually went crazy. I, <laughs> this medication has a lot of psychological side effects. And one of the side effects is you don't sleep. So in a week, I might sleep a total of five hours. And the worst part about it is there was some of the medication on it you had to take every six hours. And you had to eat a meal half an hour before you took the medication. So even if you finally did get to sleep, you would have to wake up to take the medication. Then you couldn't fall back to sleep again. And it caused extreme itching. I had mild itching all the time and bouts of extreme bug under the skin itching, which was horrible, and it went on <laughs> for 36 weeks. It was, it was awful, the worst thing. I've, someone asked me once, uh, what was worse, training in the dungeon or your hepatitis C second treatment? And I'm like, there's not even any comparison. The treatment was the worst thing I ever went through in my life. But it worked. Not only was I de -cure, declared cured six months after the treatment, but my one-year post-treatment confirmed that I was cured, and recently I had another test, and it also reconfirmed again that I was cured. So I finally have it out of my system. It cost me a fortune, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cured of hepatitis C, and I was even able to get a license in, uh, to wrestle in Missouri last year. I wrestled on one of Harley Race's events. So... And speaking of that event, the funny thing is about that event, it was after a, uh, Har the Harley Race camp last year. And the last day of that camp, Ric Flair was there representing the WWE. So he did, uh, it was awesome. I'm a huge Ric Flair fan. And uh, it was amazing to go through his uh, seminar. And I was one of only two, like there was two matches. I was, I was the last match of the seminar and at the end of the seminar he said he was going to recommend four people for NXT tryouts he didn't say who then he was on the Harley Race show that night and I got him alone before the show for a couple of seconds and I just said do you have any recommendations for me if I want to work for WWE what would you suggest and he's like you're good you're one of the guys I'm going to recommend to Triple H so even last year I thought I was going to have a chance but no, no phone call ever came. And Billy actually called Harley about that um, to ask why, and Harley said he really didn't know, but Harley said to Billy he thought I was good. And I love Harley, by the way. He's awesome. 
Oh, no, we... Uh, had a short shoot interview with me while I was there. We actually promoted that camp for Harley uh, last year, so we had the chance to talk to him for about a half hour. And, yeah, I did see that shoot, and we're going to get right into those in a minute. But just to touch on, you know, your, your relationship with Billy Graham, and obviously he became such a mentor to you, and it's kind of a funny pairing because, you know, he's really, he's obviously from the, you know, the old school. He's one of the, you know, the, the bricklayers of modern day professional wrestling, but becoming, you know, boys with superstar Billy Graham and somebody who became a mentor to you. What does that mean for not only uh, how you became cured eventually, but, you know, how you became a better pro wrestler by getting to know Billy Graham? Well, he watches all my matches and all my promos and critiques them. So he helps me in those ways. Um, obviously, he even tried to help me get in WWE. The greatest thing he'll ever do did for me was obviously get me on that medication and support me all the way through. One of the most horrible things that happened while I was on that treatment was he almost died. He had a bout of double pneumonia, and he literally almost died. And that was like by far the low point in the treatment. Oh, and I don't even think I told you this. I was starting to get into how terrible it was. But as I was saying, the psychological effects, he almost died. <laughs> and I was so concerned about him that as soon as he got out of the hospital, um, I couldn't sleep anyways. So I drove from Ottawa, Ontario, which for any of you that don't know that are listening, it's close to Syracuse and Watertown, New York. I drove straight from Ottawa to Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. Straight. Only slept in Phoenix and drove back. But I drove to Phoenix to do, if you ever watched on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, it's uh, my face-to-face -face interview with superstar Billy Graham. I did that while I was on uh, hepatitis C treatment. And yeah, I, was, I literally went crazy and I was so concerned about him and so afraid he was going to pass away that I just had to see him. And uh, that's what I ended up doing. That ended up being the best part of my treatment, just driving. I couldn't sleep anyway, so you may as well make use of it. <laughs> I drove through the United States. I ran the Rocky Steps on my way. So it was very, a very uplifting time. And I think seeing him helped motivate me to get through that last part of the treatment which uh, was very tough. But yeah, I consider him like a grandfather figure to me and I'll be forever in his debt. And I will always, as long as I live, uh, help his legacy in any way I can. That's, what, that's why in a lot of my shoot interviews, you'll see me bring up Billy Graham because he was such a great person and I want to get it documented uh, how many people's careers he affected. The most, the, the two biggest ones are Hulk Hogan and uh, Jesse Ventura, for sure. Absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. And those, so those shoot interviews, so we're finally at it. Your YouTube channel, over 21,000 subscribers, The Hannibal TV. You literally have just taken off, and it seems like every couple of weeks there's just another, you know, ridiculously good interview that you throw up on there, lengthy at that and you just cover so many different topics and just to drop some of the names that you've had on recently we could say rugged ronnie garvin we could say nikolai volkov hacksaw jim duggan 
uh, Brutus Beefcake. There's so many of these legendary Rougeau names. Brothers. Oh my gosh, the Ray Rougeau one, which I sat on bated breath waiting for the whole... See, I'm a sucker for it. I, I watch all the clips you put up, and then I end up watching the full thing afterwards, hearing everything a second time. But the Ray Rougeau one, oh my goodness, unbelievable. But what made you really dive deep into those? Was it that Billy Graham interview that just helped get you going with it? Because, I mean, you've had so many great interviews, and like I said, lengthy... And they're so comprehensive that for you as a fan, it must be so self-fulfilling that you get to talk with these guys at, at length like that. Well, how it all started was someone was making a documentary about me from 2008 to around 2011. They were following me with cameras for all those years. And for a lot of that documentary, I was interviewing wrestlers, but I was just behind the camera. And... Uh, we never expected to actually use any of those outtakes, but I think I threw up a couple of outtakes and uh, they got a tremendous response. And then, as you mentioned, I ended up doing the Billy Graham interviews just because I was such a fan of his and I wanted to help him in any way that I could. Like the face-to-face -face interviews was originally done because he was doing... Uh, WrestleCon that year and he wanted a DVD to sell so I just was willing to help him in any way I could so that's why I uh, did that I actually went to WrestleCon with him that year too to help him out and uh, he introduced me to Hulk Hogan there which was pretty cool but um, but yeah no that just the response happened and then people kept asking me for more shoot interviews then I was already putting on events then we figured well we're already bringing these stars in for events let's try and start getting interviews with them and uh people kept responding extremely well to them to the point that the interviews were getting more hits than the majority of the matches i was posting so now we're at the point where i'm actually going to do less events and focus more on interviews um, i'm actually going to be attending the hall of fame in uh, iowa next week that's why i said i'll actually see gerald prisco again there but uh I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to do with the wrestling. I'm going there strictly to uh, cover it as a reporter and uh, get some interviews. So I'm. looks like we're probably going to get the Iron Sheik and possibly Tully Blanchard and some others as well. So looking forward to that. No, that's I'm awesome. I'm hoping to get Terry Funk, but unfortunately uh, he can't go now. He has an abdominal injury. But we will go to Amarillo, Texas. Uh, this fall, and we will get a shoot interview with him at the Double Cross Ranch, and I will force him to take this 72-ounce steak challenge that I challenged him to several years ago. He, <laughs> they have that famous steak place in Amarillo, Texas, and I was talking to the owner there, and apparently he just goes around telling people that he ate it, and he never actually... So, basically, that's what's going to happen. He's going to have to take that steak challenge against me. We're going to see what's going to happen, and we're also going to do a shoot interview at the same time. That's great. And now the, the, the one that I really loved, like I said, was the Ray Rougeau one. The Ronnie Garvin one, which you're putting up the clips as we speak, is another great one. Just a, a guy you don't hear too much from, and you have some uh, pretty, pretty damn good questions. But do you have a personal favorite of the last crop of these like mega-intensive, uh, fully comprehensive interviews? Oh, it's, I can't really say, really. Uh, let me think here. I really like the Jacques Rougeau one the best because him and I are uh, actually really close friends in real life. He was one of my trainers 
So I just think there was no script for that. That was one of the first ones we did. And all we did was pretty much talk. So I think that's what I liked about that one. Uh, why it's uh, one of my favorites. And the Honky Tonk Man one is really popular. I like that one too. I think there's going to be another future one with the Honky Tonk Man at some point, possibly in front of a live audience. That's what I'm looking <laughs> towards in the future. Possibly doing a talk show format in front of a bit of an audience uh, in the future to test that out and then have the fans be able to ask some questions at the end. So I think that would be good. But yeah, no, I think the guys like Honky Tonk Man and I have been friends for quite a long time. So the people that I'm legitimate friends with are the ones I like the most. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Roddy Garvid one was, was pretty funny. And for the people, there's a lot of people that ask me, why do you put up the clips? Um, and the reason why I put the clips up is because a lot of people, for instance, will not be interested in Ronnie Garvin. They may not have even heard of him, but they will be interested in Ronnie Garvin talking about beating Andre the Giant. And I like, like I mostly interview people I like and respect, and I was a huge fan of Ronnie Garvin. He's a great, hard-hitting wrestler. And I want to get his history out there to the public. So by putting the clips up when people, for instance, search Ronnie Garvin or Andre the Giant's name, that clip might just pop up in their Google search, so they'll find out that bit of history about them. So that's my point of this, is getting history out. It's more than making money, because I'm obviously putting these up for free. So that's, that's it. But uh, yeah, that's, that answers people's questions about that. But yeah, the Ronnie Garvin full shoot interview will be out probably next week, and uh, the full one was pretty good. The one interesting thing he said, what I found interesting is because when he started uh, wrestling, wrestling was still very protected, but where he was trained was a place where they taught martial arts, boxing, amateur wrestling, and pro wrestling. And he said that there was like, it was just like in any other sport, they taught it. No secrets to it or no, it wasn't really hidden or anything. So I found that pretty interesting. Because in that time, in most places of the world, it was very hard to break into the pro wrestling business. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think people realize how long Ronnie Garvin has been in the wrestling business because he always he always looked, you know, uh, I guess you could say uh, very youthful, you know, and he still looks great to this day. But you don't realize, dating back to the '60s, that he, you know, was breaking into the business and some of the the people that he crossed paths with at that point. And I felt what he said about Andre the Giant was pretty cool that. You know, he did beat Andre the Giant, but it was not very publicized. And is that the kind of stuff you look for is to get those uh, stories that you don't necessarily hear, you know, just in asking formulaic questions? Like, that was, he was so nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, I beat him, and Andre never really uh, acknowledged it, and but whatever. He beat him, but he beat him in a handicap match where he was the guy at the disadvantage. <laughs> Which, when have you ever heard of Andre being on the other end of handicap match? It's never, I've never heard of that happening ever. So I, there were a few comments about why is he bragging about beating Andre the Giant. Well, Andre didn't really lose to many people at his peak, let alone in a handicap match situation. So I guess I would brag about that too if I were Garfield. Uh, and the story about him getting in a real fight with uh, Randy Savage was pretty interesting too. He just told that that was... As far as I know, that was never reported before. So. I, I had never heard that. No, definitely never heard that. But when we talked to Adrian Street, you know, he kind of 
also acknowledge the fact that at that point that Savage was very uh, very prone to, you know, if you're going to scuffle, you're going to scuffle. And Street, you know, being a kind of underrated tough guy himself, you know, gave him the business like, you're not going to mess around with me, so don't do it. And it seems like uh, with Garvin, it was almost, a, it was, I would have loved to have seen a camera on that, just the way that he built it up, you know, how it went down. And you just kind of don't see that anymore, you know, it's a different business. Um, I'm going to have to actually ask Lanny about his take on that situation uh, next time I see us, for sure. But you should listen. One good thing that you'll hear about Ronnie, well, not good necessarily, but his take on today's wrestling, which I haven't posted yet, is quite something. So that's interesting. And the other funny thing was we're the ones that actually told him that Jimmy was in the Hall of Fame. He found out during the shoot interview. (laughs) So that's how little attention he pays to today's product. He didn't even know that his former tag team partner and stepson had been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and he said he, had his, he hasn't talked to him in, in quite a while, too, so that was another little uh, admission that he, he gave up. But with you and your shoot interviews, and you see we just had Sean Oliver on, and he talked about what Kayfabe Commentary does by trying to present something different. Do you like doing the comprehensive, you know, full-blown start-to-finish uh, career retrospective over maybe doing more of like a willy-nilly like hit something here hit something there kind of interview yes because i like to document history and one of the reasons i like doing it is because uh wwe presents documentaries and things like this and i guess they're even doing their own form of inter- shoot interviews now but it's always presented from the wwe's perspective so or they put out what they want to put out like with the warrior when the first dvd it's all how terrible the warrior is, and then they put out the latest one. Suddenly, he was great. So <laughs> it's like they totally changed. It's like, how do these people really feel about the Ultimate Warrior? Like, are they just saying whatever the WWE wants them to say? I really don't know. But at least with mine, I'm not pressuring them to say anything. Whatever they say about a certain individual, a post. Uh, like, for instance, Ole Anderson, a lot of people have bashed him. Uh, but Demolition Smash, we did one with Demolition recently. Demolition put him over. Ronnie Garvin talks about him in positive light. Raymond Rougeau talks about him in a positive light. So it's good to get all perspectives from a neutral point of view. So that's what I try and do is document history with, uh, with mine and try and ask some interesting questions too. Get them to shoot a bit. Nikolai Volkov, for instance, was a good historical interview. Uh, I didn't see much on the internet of Nikolai Volkov, so I'm glad we got Nikolai, but he wasn't much of a shooter as far as uh, giving any dirt on anybody or not liking anyone. But we put it out. It's a nice neutral. uh, We're neutral as far as putting stuff out. Although I don't know if I'm ever going to put out anything positive about Vince Russo. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) He is a lightning rod, for sure. But uh, as we start to wind it down a bit here, one thing we didn't get into was your time in Puerto Rico and how much that kind of molded your career. You know, with Bushwhacker Luke coming up with the Hannibal name and stuff, can you just talk a little bit about your time spent in Puerto Rico? Uh, yeah, I was there from 2005 to 2008, uh, wrestling full-time, a couple periods I went back, but for both IWA and WWC Puerto Rico, so it was good experience 
being, it was, for the first part, the first time I was there, it was still during the boom period of Puerto Rico. So for our Saturday night events, it wasn't uncommon to have 3,000 people in a building. Uh, and our big events sometimes had more more than that, like five or 6,000. And uh, I was involved in main event angles and matches in both companies. I was the Intercontinental Champion in IWA that I won from Ricky Banderas. And I was the two-time WWC Puerto Rico Tag Team Champion with uh, Black Pain, who ended up getting a WWE contract. And then he's now known as Monster Pain. He's had some success, but uh, he's never really broken through hugely. But uh, yeah, it was uh, good overall. But uh, towards the end of my time there with uh, working for Carlos Colon, the pay was not... uh, what it was promised went from being paid every week to every second week to, Oh, don't worry. I'll catch up with you later. And then he just got more and more behind. And eventually, uh, I just had enough of it, but I did love, I do love Puerto Rico. I love, uh, living there and I love the people of Puerto Rico. I had a fiance there and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I never really liked invader, I do a lot of questions about Bruiser Brody in my shoot interviews because uh, I often wrestled in the building where Brody was murdered and I always just got a sick feeling in my stomach whenever I was in that dressing room and it really upset me. I was never, uh, Invader was a booker for IWA, so I was never in that dressing room the same time as Invader, but I never shook Invader's hand or anything like that. I never liked them at all. And, uh, yeah, that was my only negative part about Puerto Rico, I guess. I didn't like Invader. And I find that it's a travesty that uh, he was never brought to justice for that horrible incident. And I just find it sickening that Brody was, like, bleeding to death in the locker room. And I just try and imagine, like, it didn't seem like anyone helped him. Everyone's just lacing up their boots, going over their batches. The show continues. The killer wrestles. Actually, he goes off, hides the weapon somewhere, and then returns to wrestle later in the night, remains the booker and a top star for the territory, as if nothing happened. I just find that so bothersome. So that's also one of my goals in my shoot interviews, bring light to that story as much as I can. Hmm. Crazy, crazy scenario. And that, you know, it still obviously bothers a lot of people, the craziness that went on down there. But, you know, your career and going back to your career and, and thinking about what you're doing now in Canada, making an impact. Obviously, some of your shows are some of the highest attended, you know, non WWE shows in Canada. But, you know, you started it. You started in the dungeon, and, and you're still in Canada. You know, doing your thing now. What does Canada mean to you? And you know, and the legacy of professional re- wrestling in Canada. Uh, well, my favorite Canadian professional wrestler of all time is Mad Dog Vashon. Uh, Canada means a lot to me. I've always been well supported here by the fans. I truly believe I'm the most popular nationwide unsigned talent in Canada. I've had so many uh, nationwide articles over the years, and I've had so much support uh, from the Canadian fans. But uh, really, I just want to make a name for myself in the States as things continue. My YouTube channel, actually 90% of our audience is American. So that's my next goal. I've wrestled like 
I know Puerto Rico is part of the States and I became popular there, but I really want to make a name for myself in the States and hopefully Japan one day, because everyone tells me I'm perfectly suited for Japan. But from what I understand right now, the only company that's paying foreign wrestlers their flights and travel and everything to wrestle in Japan is New Japan Pro Wrestling, who have some type of deal with Ring of Honor now. So unless you're in uh, Ring of Honor or a former WWE star, it's next to impossible to go to Japan these days unless you're willing to pay your own plane ticket and wrestle for indie companies, which I'm not willing to do at this state of, of my uh, career. But yeah, I, lo- I love Canada and I really love the United States. I hope to live in the United States one day, at least for the winters. Uh, oh, it's always held a special place in my in my heart. I like the respect that you guys give to athletes there. I notice whenever I'm in the U.S., like people, because I'm a big guy, everyone always asks me if I'm a football player, if I'm a wrestler, and I always seem to be treated with higher esteem than in Canada. It's a great place. I'm not putting it down, but they don't, unless you're a hockey star, they don't hold the athletes to the same esteem as they do in the United States. So I've always liked that about the States. And I really don't like these bitterly cold winters where you go on runs and your eyelashes freeze shut. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, that's my next goal is just become popular there, whether it's through, whether it's as an interviewer or a wrestler, I'm actually fine if it's as an interviewer, but uh, you can expect a lot of big matches for me in the future. Cause I'm only 33. Uh, Billy Graham, Macho Man started in WWE when he was 34. Lanny's wow. told me that all the time. Um, Billy Graham was world champion when he was 34. So I'm still haven't reached my peak and I still believe I have 10 years of, uh, of wrestling left in me. So we'll see what the future holds. And I hope everyone checks out greatnorthwrestling.ca and subscribes to my The Hannibal TV YouTube channel because it's only getting better and better and it's going to continue to grow and we're going to improve the quality of Great North Wrestling as time goes on. And our interviews are improving quality all the time. There's, for instance, we, when we started, we didn't have two uh, wireless mics. Now we do. So the audio is better, the lighting is better, the cameras are better. So, yeah, and people can... Uh, I'm on Facebook, Devin Hannibal Nicholson. Uh, my Twitter is uh, Devin Nicholson, I believe. and uh, Or Devin Hannibal is my Twitter. Uh, Great North Wrestling's Twitter is at GN Wrestling. But all the links are on our greatnorthwrestling.ca and thehannibaltv.com. Uh, website. So anyone that wants to know more about Great North Wrestling, you can check those out. And we now have new sections on there for a list of our shoot interviews and matches. Uh, so you can see my matches, for instance, some of my matches against Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, I was even involved in his last match ever, which a lot of people don't know. I was tag team partners with him in his last match ever. He did not believe in that match surprisingly but yeah his last match ever was him and I as uh, tag team partners he never wrestled again after I brought called him out about hepatitis C well and he was wrestling even at some points walking to the ring with a cane he just did not want to stop (laughs) walking to the ring with a cane and a walker and you'd have to wrestle him it was difficult to wrestle him because you'd have to like prop him up 
he could only, like if he was to walk away from the rig or the ropes, he would fall down. So it's almost like a dance wrestling him. And I'm actually proud that I was able to make him look good. And because our, our match is, uh, it's unfortunate that t- him and I were very close friends. And it's unfortunate that that's all tainted now. But uh, people really liked our matches and we were good friends. And it's just unfortunate that he had to be so uh, reckless because really he could have still wrestled and not bled. And he could have still wrestled and not cut people with infected razor blades. Like, do you really think anyone would have complained if just the guy that Abdullah was wrestling bled? Like, would anyone really have cared if he just forked the guy and the one guy bled? No, not at all. Not, not at that point, at least. Uh, like the guy is obsessed with cutting. Like, there's a, they did uh, Canada's third, third national network did a documentary on that whole situation between him and I. And uh, he actually bladed himself in his interview with them about demonstrating blading. And they told me that they did not ask him to actually blade himself. They just told him to make the motion. But he went ahead and cut himself anyways. So he's just a guy that's obsessed with cutting. Do I think that he actually meant to pass me hepatitis C? No. It was just he was negligent. He didn't care. And he's an older fellow and he's just stuck in his ways, but he did assault a lot of people in his career legitimately. And he just got away with it because of the time period that it was <laughs> like, that's his secret. He's really like the truth is he actually really did hurt people in his career, not the main stars. He would never, uh, assault or intentionally cut up a main star, but referees, ring announcers, uh, young up and coming wrestlers, he would definitely take advantage of to get himself over. So, yeah, unfortunate. Well, b- before we wrap up here, I kind of want to play fantasy Booker for a second because obviously your history with the superstar. I, I got to ask this: if you were to be able to team with superstar Billy Graham and you're able to put that match down in the famous dungeon of the Hart House, who would be the ideal opponents for a team of Hannibal? And superstar Billy Graham. It would be a handicap match, me and Billy Graham against Dustin Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes, and Cody Rhodes, because I legitimately hate Dustin Rhodes. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was such a great opponent of uh, Graham. And let's throw Cody in there just to beat the hell out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and the promos going into that would be pretty fun. There you go. Yeah, could uh, you be reminiscent of the uh, the dungeon match uh, between Owen Hart and Dan Sever, or excuse me, Ken Shamrock with uh, Dan Severin uh, hanging out down in the dungeon? But Devin, it's been really cool to have you on and and to finally catch up and and really do this the right way. And we really appreciate you coming on. And we uh, we wish all the best to you, and we hope to hear from you soon. No problem. Thank you very much. And thank you to all the fans. Tune in to The Hannibal TV, the number one pro wrestling shoot interview video channel on YouTube. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Devin. Appreciate it. And before, uh, before we let you go, this is where we'll cut the, uh, the interview portion. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.